America. It's time for the Patriotic Father Podcast, where America and fatherhood collide. Podcasting from the upstate of South Carolina, here is your host, Alex Chapman. Father Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Chapman. This is episode one. That's right, America. It's time to get started and have some conversations about fatherhood, about family, and about patriotism. Tonight's episode is going to be about military lifestyle and military transition. My special guest will be Luke Harris, United States Air Force veteran and current uh, U.S. Air Force reservist. We're going to be talking about kind of the day in the life on both sides in blue and green from the Army and the Air Force, uh, what it's like during deployment all the way through to life after the military. So keep your notes handy because we're going to be dropping a lot of tips and tricks on uh, what it's actually like, not what your recruiter might tell you. This is episode one, so there's going to be some bumps, but we're going to get through this tonight. I have a special guest with me, Luke Harris, my best friend of probably going on 20 years now. Air Force veteran, man of many things, especially like the MacGyver skills that many of us hope to have. He can fix just about anything. So uh, without further ado, I want to turn over to Luke and let him introduce himself. Hey guys, I'm Luke Harris, um, Air Force veteran. I did four years of active duty from 2007 to 2011. Um, been a good life so far. Been a real good life. What uh I got a few things to say about it. It's been, you know, been a long road. I got out in 2011, and then I missed it so much. About two years later, I went back into the Air National Guard, and uh, missed the camaraderie and all of my friends that I made, and you know, just simple stuff like that that I enjoyed, and having family, you know, pretty much every day. Um, background: I went to uh, I went to Lackland Air Force Base for six weeks for basic training. And then after I finished that, I went to uh, Shepherd Air Force Base for my career field. Um, and then I say I did six was it yeah sixteen weeks at Shepherd Air Force Base to learn how to uh, basically load bombs and weapons and missiles and uh, ammo, and then learn how to work on electronics and stuff for F sixteen armament. And then once I got through tech school, I went to Shaw Air Force Base, and there I was assigned to a detachment two, which actually worked at McIntyre Air National Guard Base, which is in uh, where is that? I can't remember. It's like south of Columbia, halfway to Sumter. Um, but I did that for about two and a half, three years. I worked as a detachment with the the Air National Guard folks and. I had a pretty good time doing it. I got, you know, kind of accustomed to the, the guard life, which was a little bit simpler, and, but more efficient, it seemed like. And then uh, that was about it. I got out, and like I said, I missed it, you know, missed my friends and missed the, missed the good times that we had. So I ended up going back there and enjoying it. So I've been that since 2015 is when I reenlisted to the guard. 
and recently promoted not too long ago, right? So yeah, it's been E five now, right? Yeah, it's been well. Actually, I'll get promoted to E six in June. Oh, there you go. So yeah, it'll be a tech sergeant then. Yeah, I've been. I think I've been a staff sergeant for almost two years now. Okay. So not well, bad. Well, for those who don't know, my background, if you haven't been to the website, is I uh, spent four years active duty in the United States Army, uh, decided to be a paralegal. So, yeah, that's right. I was just basically pushing papers, but... Uh, <laughs> it's important. It's important stuff. I got to deal with all the problem children and helping commanders get rid of their problem children. And uh, spent two years in South Korea. Uh then left to go to beautiful El Paso, Texas, in the middle of nowhere, Texas, Woo-hoo. which is basically like uh, war is. So you leave Korea to basically go to Mexico. <laughs> that all being said, uh, probably the best decision I've ever made uh, was going in. Uh, ended up getting a pretty pretty sweet signing bonus. Tried to tell my good friend here that he should probably just come to the Army side, but... Nope. But the great thing is, and this is a good story, a good little segue to what we're going to be talking about today is military lifestyle, kind of the transitions of going in while you're in it and then kind of coming out and veteran life, so on and so forth. But one of the great things about Luke and I is Luke, literally you were leaving when I came off for Christmas, for my Christmas block leave, you were shipping out, right? Yep. And here's the best part. Luke went into the Air Force because he was thinking, you know what, this is probably a better way to where you don't have to worry about deployments as much. Yeah, right. Whereas I went in the Army, got a nice bonus because the demand was so high for troops going to Afghanistan. I volunteered for Iraq twice, Afghanistan once, did not go. Luke, on the other hand, <laughs> has been to Iraq Twice now. Twice now with Kuwait in there too. So it really worked out the way he thought it would. <laughs> Man, yeah. Like, okay, so I go in, like I said, December of 2007, and uh, finally get some little bit of little bit of experience up underneath my belt. And then, lo and behold, I get told that in what was it May of 2010 we're going to blood Iraq. I said, "You got to be kidding me." Fortunately for the Air Force, if you're taking notes on this, fortunately for the Air Force, our deployments aren't that long. It's either four or six months most of the time. So, uh, While the Army is somewhere between, I don't know, 12 to 18 months at the time I went in. So, yeah, yep. a little bit of a difference when you're wearing green as opposed to blue. <laughs> Have different <laughs> missions, but... Uh, Listen, the Air Force is all about golf courses and, uh, you know, high-class liquor, pretty much. <laughs> um <laughs> I think that's that part's universal. So that's as a DOD thing. <laughs> now that's the that's the plus about the Air Force. You know, the deployment locations are normally better, and then the time spent overseas is it's just a lot shorter. But I mean, it's still not fun. But you know, it, it it's probably better than most, to be honest. So now uh, walk me through maybe a typical day, like. From the time you wake up, what time, I guess in the Air Force, what time are you waking up for PT? Do you have PT in the morning? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's see. Typical Air Force day for me, it depends because we have a lot of times in active duty, you have basically three shifts. I mean, you've got, you know, your your days, which is normally you start at 
anywhere from seven to eight o'clock, and then that lasts till three thirty or four thirty, and then let's see, you've got mid no swings, her mids I can't remember. It was it, that starts from like one o'clock to eleven o'clock, and then you've got swings or mids again. That basically your third shift. Um, I was always on like either the seven to four shift or the one to eleven shift, which wasn't bad. I enjoyed the one to eleven because I mean you're coming, you get to wake up late, and you know most of the time when we would get off work anyway, we'd go home and play Call of Duty for three hours and stay up till you know eleven, you know what, two or three in the morning. This brings me to another good point. If you're out there and you're like, yeah, I'm going to join the military because it's just like Call of Duty. Nope. No. No. Go, <laughs> my best advice is to go on to YouTube, look up The Onion, and look up Call of Duty because that one shows where soldiers are just waiting around, waiting for orders, and cleaning mud off of Humvees. Yeah. It's probably more accurate to what it's like. It's not uh, It's not all like heroism and charging forward. Yeah, there's times like that, but it's not nearly as uh, cinematic as you might think. No. Spades are played a bunch, a total <laughs> bunch. Or you could be sweeping the parking lot with the push broom. Yeah. I mean, um, that's the other thing. Sometimes you could, you know, what, go tell somebody to go about 500 feet of flight line. Yeah. Know, and, or maybe you need to take an exhaust sample out of a Humvee. Yeah, or you know, or or F sixteen, you know, try to catch the exhaust blast with the trash bag. So these are all one. things that if you uh, if you're going into the military, maybe you've been in the military, you kind of know what we're talking about there. It's it's nothing fun about going in there and your sergeant looking at you dead serious and telling you to accomplish something. So you being a good soldier or a good airman, you are, and you think I'm just going to go take care of this. Kind of find out. It's all a bunch of bullshit. It's also they can sit back and laugh at you and call you a dumb fuck. So, just something to think about there. Now, in your typical day, now I know, in, just to give you a, kind of a contrast, the Army, it was pretty much uh, zero, zero 0530, <coughs> your information getting accounted for. Because, again, I think a lot of this goes to the Army being such a bigger footprint than even the Air Force or... The only other one I could really think of that comes close is the Navy because they're obviously everything kind of started with both of those branches. So you have accountability formations, and then you kind of get a briefing for the day on uh, what's going on and, and, you know, some things going on in the unit. Then you'll go run, especially on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays. You're just going to run for the hell of running because, well, they don't usually want to stop until you puke because they know you're hungover. Yeah, it's not a bad strategy, but if you're hungover, it's ten times worse. And they'll know. They they will know. So then uh, you finish PT. You know you you know shit shave shower. Go get your your uh, uniform on. Go to chow, and then you pretty much are working till about five, sometimes six. It could be a little sooner than that. Sometimes I know me like I was in court a lot because being a paralegal, obviously, uh, but you know. Crime doesn't really stop, so sometimes there's investigations that go on longer. This is obviously different in the infantry or military policemen or, you know, some of those other jobs where it's actual combat MOSs where you need to constantly be training and evolving and shooting and learning to shoot, move, communicate. Uh, that'd pretty much be it. I mean, you sit, you kind of do your job, and, and I know this was kind of interesting to me was talking to something, correct me if I'm wrong here, in the Air Force, you're very much 
controlled by what job you have, not so much that you're an airman first, but that you're more like, hey, I'm, I'm in charge of these munitions. This is my primary function. Whereas in the Army, it's like, hey, you're a soldier, and then you get to be a paralegal. Is yeah. that kind of the same mentality? It's more, yeah, it's more job-focused than anything. I mean, because, you know, when you, I guess it, from my job experience, you know, when you work with live bombs or, you you know, missiles or ammunition and all that stuff, I mean, you, you basically train for it every day. That's your job. You know, my typical day started out, you know, if I was working, if I was working swings or something, you know, from 1 to 11 o'clock at night or whatever, you know, my, my typical day would be, we come in at 12, we'll do so-called, air quotes, PT time, which would, you know, as long as you're not on a fat boy program, you basically go to the gym and work out, you know, as long as you, as long as you pass your PT test and, you know, you're in the, you know, passing range, it's okay. You can go work out at the gym, do your thing for an hour, you know, come in, shower, you know, get to work. You know, what you'll do is the flight chief will tell you this, you know, this needs to be done. You need to do this for medical or something like that. And then basically your expediter will give you your workload for the afternoon. What needs to be done, what airplanes are flying, you know, what needs to be done on this jet and what needs to be done on that jet. He's your manager for the day. So, yeah, it's the Air Force is more, I'd say, yeah, job focused than anything. Because, I mean, you're doing that. Even as a, a bomb loader, you seriously load different stuff every day, and it, it'll fly. I mean, you know, say we'll fly this for so long, and then we'll fly this kind of munition for so long. You know, and it's practicing. You know, sometimes they'll drop them, but they're, you know, dumb bombs. They're just made out of concrete or something just for practice. But, I mean, you're still doing your job every day so you can get good at it, you know, and be efficient at it, so... I mean that's that's about the typical Air Force day for us. I and mean, like I said, you know, you get off, but you're not completely working for you know ten hours straight. You know, you'll get breaks. It just depends on the week, to be honest. You know, you'll get sometimes you're flying easy missions or something, and you know you get a little bit of time in between you know goes or flights. And uh, so you, you know you during that time, a lot of time you're supposed to be you know catching up on CBTs, which is computer. I guess learning. You have to have all this stuff. Again, disclaimer, this is universal. All branches are constantly wanting to create professional development programs. The Air Force, from what I understand, is probably one of the better ones. Uh, so th- just if you're out there thinking like, hey, I just finished high school, I'm going to go join the Army because I don't want to go to school. Wrong. Yeah, it's not really going to work that way. It's totally it's, it's not going to work that way if you go to the Coast Guard, if you go to the Marine Corps. I'm talking any branch here. You're going to do professional development. It's kind of, I feel that's probably one of the pillars of the military. That's what I was really surprised about is it's not just that you're developing as a soldier, like the normal things you're going to pick up. They're constantly shoveling, for lack of a better term, professional shit down your throat all the time to where you can't help but be successful because you've had to sit through death by PowerPoint for hours on end or you've sat through these courses. And you're surrounded by some of the best leaders in the world. I mean, a lot of the top leaders in our political arena are from the military. So, I mean, it does help. I mean, I can, you know, see where I've had to learn, you know, professional development. I mean, it's helped me out now. Right. I mean, even even by like small management. Say if I had one person working under me, you know, I'm not going to treat them like crap and I'm going to manage them right. But I mean, it it has helped out a lot. I mean, it really has, you know, and Plus, I mean, you have to get certified in CPR and how to use the AEDs and all that stuff. 
And you never know when you're going to be able to use that situation. You never know it. So that's a plus. I mean, your kids could be choking or something like that, and you you know how to you know how to take care of it. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Alex here. Just want to take a minute to say thank you so much for listening to the show. Just wanted to also give Luke a shout out here. He actually runs a landscaping business called Green Feet Landscaping. He works on yards primarily in the Spartanburg Duncan area. So feel free to go on Facebook and find them. That's Green Feet Landscaping. Thanks again for listening, and let's get back to it. We're talking just kind of leading in here to uh, career advancement, speaking of professional development. Yeah. Promotions in the Air Force are a little bit slower, yes? Yes, and sometimes they are harder. Okay. Um. I mean, was like the when I was in, you didn't have to go up before board. Uh-huh. Um, they basically take when I when I okay. So before I got out, I tested for staff sergeant. This was when I was active duty, and I tested for staff sergeant. And uh, what they do is they take your EPR, which is basically when somebody, you know, says, "Hey, this is your report card, basically for military. This is what they, you know, this is what you did. You get a one through five, basically." You know, five's the best, okay? So what you do is, you know, you, you got some volunteer service or something in there. That's a, that's a good EPR bulletin. Like, I, I used to read to kids at Horrell Hill Elementary. You know, and I, you know it was my, my, my supervisor told me, he said, yeah, I mean, you know, you need to get some, you know, volunteer bullets for your EPR. And my thing was, is I was like, okay, well, they had this opportunity come up at Horrell Hill Elementary School. Mm. I said, you know, you go to these classes and, you know, read to them once a week. Right. And to be honest with you, man, I kind of dreaded it at first, but then I got in there and it was awesome. Right. Because, I mean, the kids are excited to see you. You're in your uniform. A lot of the kids that are there, their mom and dads are military anyway. Mm-hmm. And a good bit of them, I'd say 70% of them, their mom or their dad were deployed. Right. So they had these, <laughs> I'd go in there and read books to them and everything, and everybody was so interested. And you know all the kids asked, one of the first questions, one of the kids asked, did you kill anybody? And I was like, no, man, I don't, th- you know, I don't think. I'm that question out. really doesn't stop there, though. Like, you come home and you're in uniform. People ask, oh, did you kill somebody? It's like, uh, just because you're wearing a uniform doesn't necessarily mean you kill. You could. I mean, I'm trained to. I might have with the bomb <laughs> I loaded, but that was about it. <laughs> did I personally stare somebody down and kill them? No. No, not, no, no I happen. never put a bullet in somebody. Yeah. Did you drive a tank? No. I just kind of. Don't have a lot of tanks in the Air Force, no, turns out. Sorry, it's kind of hard to fly a tank. No, but it turned out to be cool, and I mean, I had a good time doing it. I actually enjoyed it, so I kept doing it. I probably did it for a year. Right. And uh, I liked it. I mean, it was fun, but I mean, where I'm going with that is like, you know, all the, the, with the, when you get promoted, they take all that in consideration. Your volunteer bullets, did you pick up trash on the side of the road? Your EPR scores, you know, your, let's say your supervisor will rate you to see, you know, how you're doing. Uh, your deployment time. What else is on there? I can't remember the other things. I'll, like all your decorations and ribbons and stuff. What do you have? Those all account for points. Right. So you've got a uh, uh, like a group of senior airmen that are E4s. You've got a group that can test in a certain cycle. And I mean, that can be, you know, 
shoot, man, probably 15,000 probably. Yeah. And they can all test in that certain cycle. But you have to have so many points, you know, if you want to make it. Oh, oh yeah, and they had the, what was it, they had the PDG part too. And uh, it's basically like the history of the Air Force. I mean, okay. and, and they test you on your job knowledge and all that stuff too. So you go in there and they call it WAPS testing, which is mm-hmm. Weighted Airman Promotion System. So you go in there and you basically take a test, you see how you score, and then your EPR and all that stuff and all your points come together. And then you get a certain score based on all that. Well, right. that's weighted against everybody else that tested. Oh, wow. So on my first try, I actually made it. I got a line number oh, for nice. staff stars. Nice. Which is, I mean, it's rare. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I studied. You can ask my wife. I studied my butt off. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I absolutely, I made flashcards for the PDG part, professional de- development guide. Right. I mean, I made flashcards. I made it, you know, for the history of it and all that stuff. And I studied every night. Because I wanted it. That was right. going to be my determining factor of if I was going to stay in or if I was going to get out. If I made staff sergeant, then I was going to get, you know, I was going to stay in. Right. But if I didn't make it, then I was going to get out. Right. But I made it, and I got out anyway. <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> so, no, it's just, you know, I, I rode that way for a little while. You'll hear me say that a lot because I, I kind of refer my life to you know, the different steps that I take and the different actions is, you know, riding that certain way. I think, I think everybody does. I think the more I thought about, like, after the military, I know when I was thinking about getting out and I was, I gotten very good at my job. I, I'd gotten a lot of good respect. It seemed like it was all going my way. Yeah. And I remember, uh, I had one particular, uh, first sergeant I had said, Chapman, you're too good at this. You're coming back. Yeah. You're, you won't be gone long. Your leave's 30 days. You'll be back before 30 days. Yeah. And that was constantly in the back of my head. And I was like, am I really going to go back? Am I, is it really worth it? Yeah. Because a lot of my issues were more, it was always like, I was real bad about asking why. Because I wanted to know why these things were happening. It's and then, flow, man. Right, yeah. And that was the thing. And, and if you kind of ask why and you buck against the system a little bit, it's going to be a little bit more grueling on you than if you can just go with the flow. So uh, I made the decision. I wanted to. Uh, I want to be a CID investigator. So yeah. I asked to be transferred. They told me, "No, you're too valuable to what you do here." It always happens. So then I said, "Okay, cool. I'm going to leave." And they said, "No, you're not. You're not leaving." Blah blah blah. And I said, "Okay. Well, then guess what happened? I left." So yeah. looking back on it, uh, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have my girls. I mean, or my girl to be and my current girl. So. Uh, everything kind of worked out for a reason, but at the time, and I, even to this day, I mean, I constantly think about where I would be now because I know I got some really good friends out there who are kind of, I think one actually, uh, Crystal has just been promoted to a warrant officer. She went to warrant officer school. She's killing it. Yeah. Uh, a couple of my other friends are out there. They're sergeant first classes now. I mean, they're moving right along up the chain and I could have been right there with them. Yeah, and, I mean, kind of that part yeah, kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of look at it that way, but it is what it is. You make decisions, you live with it. Now, talking a little bit more about this military life, like that's kind of the day to day on post. Let's talk about kind of in a deployment atmosphere. You deploy twice now. <laughs> it's, it's so different, man. So you don't have to go into detail about exactly what the day to day is like, but uh, maybe just give me. The three worst things and the three best things about a deployment. Oh, man. We'll go with the worst ones first. The worst one is 
the unbearable, ungodly heat that you have to endure, plus humidity. Um, man, it's like nothing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's like, it, it's so bad. I mean, especially when humidity rolls in, that like, you walk outside of your tent or something. You know, normally, when you when you stay, my first deployment to Iraq was in Blood, so we stayed in basically a trailer. Right. Like a, a tin trailer. Yeah. So there was, you know, a bunk bed on each side of the, you know, it was, okay, so our, there was two rooms in one trailer, and one room was probably a 12 by 12 room. There's two bunk beds in it. I don't even know if it was that big, to be honest with you. There's two bunk beds in it, so there's four people in the room. And unfortunately, all four people were, well, all three of us stayed in there. We're on the same shift. Mm. But um, it, it wasn't bad because I was with a great group of guys, Danny and then Rod, or, you know, we're still good friends now. I miss both of them a lot, that's for sure. But we were all roommates, and uh, Blod was kind of crazy because, you know, that was 2010, so the war with, you know, the Taliban was still on. Right. I mean, we were, even though we didn't really do major damage over there, it was still on because we were getting mortared. Right. You know, and they were, you know, randomly shooting bullets at us on the line or, Mm-hmm. You know, just randomly shooting mortars. That's right. And uh, so that's probably the worst part, the heat. Um, just being away from your family. And back then, the only way we could communicate, what am I saying back then for? It's like, <laughs> what, nine years ago? Yeah, yeah well, that's almost a decade ago now. So yeah. in 2010, FaceTime <laughs> wasn't a thing. So all we had was Skype. And uh, the internet over there sucked because it was all on uh, dish. Oh, like it yeah. was so all, it's all satellites. Yeah, yeah, satellite. So you could barely get connection in here, you know. Right. Half time it would freeze. That'd piss you off, too. Um, yeah, like I said, the heat was real bad. The job wasn't too, too bad. Um, the pros are gym time and you get in really good shape. Because, I mean, this is how my schedule went, you know, during deployed times. So I worked. When I work, I work from one o'clock in the afternoon to one in the morning okay. over there on my first appointment, which is all different everywhere. I mean, it could be any other times, but most times you're, you're going to work twelve-hour shifts. But uh, anyway, so I, you know, we would, I would wake up probably about eleven o'clock in the morning, you know, go shower and all that stuff, go eat real quick, and then. Hop on this stupid bus, which was like a damn oven. And it's like a short bus. So you get on this short bus, and there's like three or four of them. And you're you're still on base. You're not going off base or anything. So we take this bus, which is like half a mile away, which I don't know why in the hell we just didn't walk. But I got smart. Is it because of the Air Force thing? Like you guys just don't like to walk places? No, we walk. I'm blunt. <laughs> That's the bad thing about that's, ask, that's the bad thing about being maintenance in the Air Force, man. You walking? There's gonna be there's gonna be some guys out there here wondering, oh, it's probably because it's Air Force. They don't have to walk any fucking. <laughs> no, nah, it was it was probably no shit. It was probably seriously three quarters of a mile to a mile okay. away, and uh, plus you had to have all your gear and stuff too. Um, but I got smart to it. I ended up buying a uh, a bike like a you know a, a ten speed or whatever, like a mountain bike oh, okay. or whatever. Okay. So I ended up buying a bike, and I, you know. Military rules, you got to wear a helmet and a reflective belt or something. That's right. So I ended up getting a helmet reflective belt so I wouldn't have to be on a hot-ass bus. I'm pretty sure this is still true. The 
PT equipment for the branches of the military are all reflective, and you still have to wear a reflective belt or vest, right? Um, I mean, so depending, like if it's daytime or not. The fact that that's even like a thing. Think about that. Your whole uniform is reflective. They've spent millions of dollars to make it reflective. Yeah. But they're still going to make you go buy the $10 vest or belt so that you can be more reflective as if someone's going to be driving by you and the other 40 guys running with you and possibly hit you. And the bad thing is you still have to wear a reflective belt, even deployed, which oh, makes yeah. it stupid. Yeah, yeah. Because you're like, okay, well, I got all this camouflage on, so <laughs> if, if like a tiny micro light hits me, it's yeah. going to reflect. That's we'll true. see where I'm at. Yeah. But <laughs> Just no, have stupid. a bright light at night. I'll see where they're at. Yeah, no kidding. No, but uh, like that's that's one of the, the cons of it was, you know, trying to get places on base. Now, they did, you know, when I was in Balad, they did have a pool, and they had some really nice gyms, some really, really nice gyms. So that was cool. So we, you know, I, I would, like I said, I would eat, or get up and I'd eat, go to work, work four hours, you know, get off the cool in the morning, ride my bike back to uh, our little little hut we had, our little right. trailer, change into PT gear, go work out for about an hour, hour and a half, take another shower, go back to bed. And then uh, that was it. I mean, that was we had one day off a week, so that was it. It's kind of bittersweet when you get a day off because you get bored, but you mm. can sleep. Um, other than that, I mean, they got pizza huts and stuff over there, and like <laughs> Burger Kings. Some of the best Burger King I've ever eaten in my life, too. <laughs> um, but other than that, I mean, they got you know, they got you know buses and stuff you could take on base. And now you mentioned. Uh Missing the family, obviously, and those kind of things. Now, you were married at the time. Yeah, I didn't have any kids. Didn't though. have any kids yet. Yeah. But what is the military life, family life? How does that kind of come as one? Like, how was, did she just stay on post or did she go back home? Well, since we lived so close to home, she right. moved back. Okay. To uh, Spartanburg. Okay. And uh, so she stayed up here while I was gone so she'd be close to her family because we were just renting. Right, right. I mean, that, that was it. Sense. So the whole time, the whole time we were, you know, I was active duty, we rented the whole time. Right. So, but we just rented and she got a place up here. And then uh, that was, yeah, she was here up close to her family because I found out like two weeks or three weeks after I got to, you know, Iraq mm-hmm. that she was pregnant. Oh, that's right. I did. Because we were trying that, to, you know, yeah. we were trying to have kids and everything. Right. And uh, so I found out two, three weeks after I was here that she was pregnant and going through all that stuff. So her mom was closed and all that crap. So they had her back. But uh, I mean, it's it's still hard. Yeah, there's nothing easy about it. I mean, you kind of you go into what I call a survival mode, mm-hmm. where your feelings kind of get turned off a little okay. bit, and you almost go numb. Well, I feel like that's probably the desensitizing part because you're in a combat environment. Yeah. You, you know that literally you could walk outside the line and there's people out there just waiting to kill you. I yeah. mean, bottom line. It's not I mean, a fun thing, but, I mean, it's a very serious thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of it makes you feel alive. You know, you're mortal. Right. And right. that's that's the bad thing. Now, even the, even the, I'm in the Air Force. You know, I'm in the Air Force. So we never go outside of the wire. We sell, right. you know, Army and Marines and all that. Right. Y'all can have that. <laughs> but no, I mean, it. You know, there was a couple times where you actually feel mortal when you almost feel like you were in a uh, a fish tank. Okay. And somebody's say somebody you're in the fish tank and somebody outside's 
trying to throw rocks in the fish tank and try to smush you or something. Okay. You can only go so far. That's right, yeah. But Still I mean, kind of confined, yeah. That was the bad thing about it is because you, you almost felt helpless, but especially when you were getting mortared. I mean, because you would get, you know, there would be three or four mortar attacks every night, every other night, something like that. Yeah. But, I mean, they had they had what you call uh, C-Rams, mm-hmm. which is basically an it looks like R2-D2 with a Gatling gun dick is what it looks like. <laughs> Look them up on YouTube. They're pretty cool. It's like C, you know, dash RAM, R-A-M. But uh, what they would do is like they had this, uh, I guess, a radar on them, and they can track if a mortar's being shot over the base, and what they do is they follow it, and they shoot it down with 20-millimeter rounds. So okay. that kind of helped that a little bit, and then other times... It didn't hit them. Okay. And we had a 105 blow up in a parking lot that was probably, I don't know, maybe 75 yards away from us. Mm-hmm. And it shook clocks off the wall. You know, thank God we were surrounded by concrete T-walls, which are, you know, mm-hmm. huge pieces of concrete around your, you know, your right. tube. But uh, other than that, I mean, the other problem is, like, with the deployment types is dust. I mean, because... Like, you, you and I both know when wind starts whipping up and there's sand around, yep. you're in trouble. Yeah. And you can see a dust storm coming. It's like something off what The Mummy, like yeah, the movie yeah, The Mummy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like legit <laughs> is that serious. <laughs> right. So that kind of sucks. But, you know, military usually gives you proper, you know, proper PPE for all that kind of stuff, like goggles and, you know, your shim guys and all that stuff. But Now, what uh, when you got back home, and you kind of got readjusted and things. I know reentry is always kind of a touchy thing. So you, we'll get we'll just go ahead and say, you know, you should go get the help you need when you get back. Reentry is not easy. I had a Obviously. tough time, right? And that's why I mean, and this isn't just Luke. I mean, I'm talking to everybody out there. If you're out there and you're like, hey, what's that going to be like? You know, I don't want it to change my whole. It will change you to a certain extent. I'm not speaking for me. I mean. I had a lot of friends. I mean, a lot of guys I was serving with had deployed, and everyone would tell you, like, yeah, they're just trying to get through it and try to get kind of adjusted to things still. And, I mean, we're talking six months to a year later. So if you're out there thinking, oh, well, I'm just going to snap right back and go right back home, it's not going to be that easy. And that's where a lot of the mental health, because the PTSD conversations come up, and I I kind of hate to – to bring that up, but that's such a big prevalent part of military life now because it seems like they can't mention a veteran without mentioning PTSD when in reality it is a very serious thing. It is not uncommon because of, I mean, imagine walking down the street and a soccer ball could be a weapon, an eight-year-old could be trying to kill you. I a mean, dead dog on yeah, the side of the road yeah, or a you, hole or a crater. That's, that's or right. It's literally everything around you. So when people think, oh, well, it's just war. You came back like, look at World War Two. World War Two is completely different. No, I the, mean it the, was the closest thing I can think of to what's coming home. What the guys are coming home now are dealing with is Vietnam because it's guerrilla warfare. You're you're yeah. constantly finding guys you don't know where they're coming from. Well, the it thing was anywhere. the thing was with World War Two, man, is that you didn't have the media coverage. You didn't have right. social media and all that stuff. Right. And you look at the statistics of it. Man, people were killing themselves left and right, or they were labeled as crazy, or mm-hmm. drank themselves to sleep every night. Mm-hmm. I've read stories about that. You know, it's war's war, man. And like, even like I'm saying, even though I don't 
I've never shot anybody or, you know, I've never been super shot at or, like, took a bullet or anything. When I got home, my first deployment, when I got home, I didn't talk hardly at all. Right. Like, I, I got home, and what I wanted to do was I just wanted to stay busy. Like, I, I remember I bought all kinds of shit for my truck, man. Like, I bought all kinds of parts for it and all that mm-hmm. stuff, and... I, you know, I, it was my my gift to myself being deployed. You know, I wanted you know stuff to go on my my truck, right? And I had all that stuff delivered. And I remember I came back up to Spartanburg, and we got we were at my mom and dad's house, and I remember my granddaddy was there, and you know all my family, aunts, uncles, and all that stuff. And I remember I, I got home, and all I wanted to do was just work on the truck. And the bad thing was, is everybody came over to my mom and dad's just to see me. Right. And I didn't I didn't speak. Right. You know, I, all I wanted to do was just work on my truck and get it done. You know, now that I look at it, it was just me trying to escape a little bit. Right. Which, I mean... you got to be able to decompress a little bit. I think that's the hardest thing is everybody wants to kind of pile on when you get home because, you know, you've been gone. So everybody's like, hey, yeah, hey. Well, and tell me about it. You know, how's it been? But in reality, it's like you got to have that space to just kind of breathe for a minute. Yeah. And take it all in, right? Yeah, it's not it's not something that happens overnight. I mean, it's really not. It took me my first one. It probably took me months, two months, to just to get back to reality. So I remember when I got home, just taking a cold shower was a you know a luxury, right? right. Just because you know they they keep water in these huge like thousand gallon storage vats or whatever mm-hmm. plastic vats. Or containers or whatever, and they the sun beats down on it. It gets hot shit. I yeah, mean, it, dude, it gets hot. So right. you're you're trying to take a shower at one o'clock at night. Yeah, and the freaking water is still on fire. Yeah, and so that was the thing. Is man, I remember I just got home and I, I remember feeling the the sweet feeling of air conditioning. Yeah, in the house, and the sweet feeling of a cold floor and a cold shower. Right. And I couldn't, I mean, Little I, things in life, dude, right? I stayed in that shower forever <laughs> and it was nice. Cause the bad thing was, is like, it was the one thing that kind of, kind of got me a little bit was, okay. So Hannah moved back to the upstate when I, you know, when I was on my deployment, Right. well, she had to move back down to Columbia. So when, what she did was, you know, I was going on, what was it? I can't remember the website, but anyways, it was for rentals. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she, I found a rental on the website or whatever, and I liked it. And she went and looked at it. She came from Spartanburg, Columbia, and looked at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she liked it too. So we went ahead and got the house, so we could have a house before I was home. And so she went ahead and they got almost, you know, all of our stuff moved, and they uh, they got the house and all that stuff, and they moved everything in. Her and her family, and my my family. And uh, so I get home to a new house that right. I've never been in before, you know. And I get home to it was, I mean, it was nice. It, trust yeah. me, it was it was super awesome, and uh, I enjoyed it. But like I said, man, the air conditioning and you know cold shower and just stuff you kind of take for granted, right? So, but now uh, you got out in two thousand and eleven. Eleven. Mm-hmm. I also. Yeah, because you were just a few months after me, right? Yeah. I got out in May of 11. And I got you, out in December. That's right. So about six months later. Yeah. And you were out. And so did you have a plan? I know I didn't really have a true plan. I was like, hey, I'm going to go to school when I get out. Did you have like a 
kind of a plan of what you were going to do when you got out? So most of the time I always have some kind of plan before I make any rash decisions. Right, right. Um, actually, I did have a plan. Before I got out, I actually talked to a uh, former employer, and uh, I went and talked to them, and, you know, I actually interviewed with them again, and uh, I was like, you know, I'll, just, I'll find me a job or something, you know, and they actually wanted me to come back. Oh, yeah. Even yeah. after four years, you know what right, I mean? Right, yeah, yeah. So they they offered me a job. They offered me what I needed for money, and uh, so I just I went with that. Like, like I said, my game plan was if I... If I made staff sergeant, my first trial was going to stay in. And if I didn't, you know, then I was going to get out. But right. I ended up getting out anyway because that deployment put a bad taste in my mouth. And uh, made hard, made it hard, but we, uh, you know, I had, I had a game plan. I mean, normally I'm not one to make rash decisions, so I'm, I'm kind of like I always have a backup plan to a yeah, backup I, plan to a backup like, plan. I kind of told myself that, like, hey, I'm going to go work like at Home Depot or something. I want to do just enough to get by. Yeah. And then I'll finish school and just kind of give you guys an idea of what we're talking about. Like, I literally got out because I was like, I'm going back to college. I'm going to finish my degree and use my GI Bill. And you went straight to work. I mean, you went straight into, like, working. Yeah. So I I was looking for something like just kind of hold me over while I finish the degree. Well, guess what happened, guys? Life fucking happened so like the four-year plan i had to kind of finish my degree didn't really happen that way so my advice to you out there is if you're active duty now or maybe you're in the reserves or maybe you're thinking about going try to at least get your gen ed and two-year degree knocked out by the army or the air force or whoever's paying for it hell even try to clip them yeah i mean yeah take clip tests like if you're really good at history or something really good at math take some take some of those tests they're free and then you get the college credits for them. Don't be an idiot and not do it. Right. I mean, like, take it, cool, but. take it from me. Like, I was in court. I had a pretty structured day. Should have been a lawyer. But I couldn't. I mean, I, there was no way I could have finished a degree. Mm-hmm. Just because every time I was signing up for classes, then a new case was coming, and then I'm driving the attorneys around. You know, there's the enlisted side of that, so you're low man on the totem pole having to make sure things are squared away for court. So, it never really worked out. So, if you're out there and you're like, yeah, I'm eventually going to do it. No, no, no. No, I do, do it. it. Do it right now. Like, talk to your CO tomorrow and go sign for that shit. Sign up and get that shit done. Because Most of the time, they'll flex a little bit, too, if you know, if they know you're going to school. Here's a real story, real facts here. 30, I believe it's 37.5% of veterans who are enlisted that get out. Only 37% ever decide to go get an actual degree, yeah. or a four-year degree, I should say, or higher. I'm one of the other 62. Right, and that's my point. I mean, majority, like if you go into the police academy, your GI Bill will actually pay you on-the-job training for certain jobs, so you can double dip, because like police agencies will hire you, Yeah, they'll pay you, and then they'll send you down to the academy, pay you, and then your GI Bill kicks in, and you get paid. So, Which isn't chump change either. Right, and the GI Bill, I mean, just... Cliff note, but we're kind of on a tangent here, but that GI Bill is amazing if you get the post-9-11 GI Bill. Like, I had the choice when I went in because yep. it had just happened. Yep. But post-9-11, basically, they're going to pay for your college as long as it's one of their approved colleges, which really means as long as it's not, I don't even know if ITT Tech's around anymore now or not, but no. like one of these for-profit schools don't go there. Go somewhere where they're an accredited college. And then here's the best part. They're going to give you $1,000 a year for books 
and they're going to pay you BAH for whatever zip code the college is at. Which is on average what anywhere from eight hundred to twelve Green, thirteen. Greenville, South Carolina. I went or Spartanburg, South Carolina. I guess is technically where I ended up at USC Upstate. Here, it was roughly about fourteen hundred bucks a month. Yeah, that's tax pretty free. good. In direct deposit. So literally, and then what I did is I did a work study with the VA at the school. So I was helping other veterans get their GI Bill started, and it was super easy to explain because I just went through it. Yep. So. There's, I know there's options of signing over to your family and things like that's a benefit you have. And if you didn't finish your degree while you're in, use that and finish it. Or if you don't want to go to school, that's cool too. But use it. Look at the programs that you can use for the on-the-job training part of it. I mean, the other thing is too, you can also use it for your family. Uh, right, and so yeah. like you could sign it over to one of the kids. You gotta have, to have like so ten much years retainment. Yeah, yeah you have though. to be. I think ten years of service. Uh, don't quote me on that. I don't know. if I know they, they've changed a lot with it. I know when I was going in, it's like you got to be in 10 years, and then you can transfer it over. And you got to have so much retention time left over, right, too. Right, right. So, so like bottom line, go finish your school while you're in as much as possible. If you don't get it all done, that's fine. At least you're a step ahead. Right. So, and that being said, we're talking about military transitioning out of the military. Now, you went to work. You've been, and you actually just recently changed careers here. What, I guess back at the beginning of the year, right? Yeah, I did January. as well. I went more, I'm a sales guy. I like talking to people. So obviously, I had to stuck in sales. This guy can fix anything. I mean, literally, <laughs> if he can't fix it, he'll just beat the hell out of it till it starts running again. Right. So, I mean, you're talking two very different paths, but you have to have a plan in place. If you're getting out of the military and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm just going to figure that shit out, take it from me, because that's kind of how I did it. I kind of winged it to an extent. Don't do that. Like, take advantage of your opportunities that are in front of you, because there's a lot of resources while you're active duty when you're out processing with air quotes, because that whole process, they give you like 30 days to do what could be done in a week. That's intentional. That's because... You should be out there networking, making phone calls, and those are the times you should go be uh, sitting down for interviews with civilian firms and uh, police agencies or whatever your path may be. That's when you do those things. Yeah. So that's kind of on my soapbox. I feel like that was one regret I always had was that I didn't get more of that done. Yeah. But when you're transitioning out, I mean, and you're in the process now, you're actually looking at other opportunities, right? Um, Yeah. I mean, every. I mean, everybody's always looking. I mean, you're always just trying to better yourself. Yeah, I mean, like it's, like I said, you know, I'm just like I like riding different waves, and if if I know this wave's about to end, I'm gonna try to jump on another. That's one. right. You know what I mean? So like I'm always trying to better myself. But hey, yeah, and greed's good, you know. So if there's money out there, money never sleeps, guys. Yeah, it's, it's just like Wall Street. So. I mean, whatever, <laughs> like whatever makes you happy. Yeah. I mean, if you if you hate your freaking job, then do something else. Yeah, I mean, life's way too short, man. Yeah, way I mean, because you spend short. more time at your job than you would with your family or your friends. Yeah. So, I mean, you better like the people you work with, and you damn sure better like the job. Absolutely Just right. don't let it be stressful. And if you don't like it, jump on another wave. I mean, it's your surfboard. That's your life, dude. So, go for it. I mean, do whatever you want to do. Right. So, I mean, hell, even if it's, you know, renting chairs at the beach to people, if you like it, go for it. Now, looking back... 
Good. Well, I guess you're still technically in. So we'll That's say different. looking back on active duty. Yeah. What did you like most? What's the one thing that just <laughs> my friends? Yeah, that was the camaraderie. Was like, yeah, it was like the family I never had. Like okay. I said, man, we would get off work and we would seriously go home, and we would be at work all day together, and we would have the best time together. Yeah, and just joke and play games and stuff, you know. And right. Then we would get off of work and we'd go home and hang out with our family for a little bit, and then we'd get on Xbox 360. I know this sounds old. But, no, we'd get on Xbox, and we'd play Call of Duty, like I said, for, you know, two or three hours I think, I think that's something that's, like, drastically, like, underplayed is that a lot of people think when you're in the military, oh, well, if you served in combat together, that's what makes you so close. And it's really no. not. Like, shout out to Darren. Darren was, like, probably my the big brother I never really asked for. Yep. But, I mean, that dude's like family now. And it was because, like, we'd spend all day together, but then... We were also go out and we we're going to have beers together, yeah. and then on the weekends we were going to go, you know, see another buddy of ours who you know travel down south in Korea. I mean, this is a guy who, if I had the money tomorrow, I'd be out there, you know, trying to set up shop to live next door to him. And yep. I, I mean, like that's just how close we are. Like, as it's like family. It's the best way I can explain it. Yeah, you know, you and I have been friends almost twenty years now, and it's like, okay, well, you know, of course we are. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. of course we can pick up like. I mean, these are guys you serve with them like actually four years in the military. You get two yeah. years with this guy, and then he's like family because you're together that much. Well, I mean that, and if you click well, you know what I mean. You that's just, right. Yeah, absolutely. So you're don't get me wrong. There's guys that like I'm like yeah, I never want to see that asshole again. Yeah. <laughs> no, your your Darren was my Dave Pearson. Okay, he was like the older brother that I never had. You know what okay. I mean? He got. He was the one who basically guided me through my Air Force career. Right, and that's... that's and I'm glad something. he was my supervisor. Right, yeah. And he you, was a damn good one, too. Right. I will never, that, ever meet another person like him. That's probably something I wish civilian world had is more like, hey, here's a mentor to yeah. show you how to do this job. Let me pull you along and kind of show you the ropes instead of, hey, we're going to do training, 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 and then we're going to throw you into this job. Yeah. And yeah, you'll be great at it, cool, whatever. And there's no real mentorship. Like, you're just kind of out there figuring it out for yourself. That was, that was like, the one cool thing about that dude. It's like, I've never seen him lose his cool ever. Like, he would never, ever get mad. Or I mean, he would get mad, but he would never lose it. Like, you know what I mean? He he would always have your back no matter what. And he was he was jam-up dude. He always, you know, he always will be. And, uh, I, I'm remaining silent because while Darren's a jam up dude, I have seen him lose his shit. And God <laughs> help who was ever in front of him. Well, I mean, it's and this kinda... West Point cadet knows who he is, but whoa! No, when you're <laughs> when you're loading, say when you're loading live bombs or live missiles, it's always best not to lose your shit. Yeah, it makes you, sense. You don't want to. I mean. I mean, you're talking to a guy who I wanted to get into ordinance, but something about being colorblind, they don't want you to be yeah, around. Kind of, the color bands kind of mean yeah, something. Weird. You need to, you need to know if it's yeah. yellow or brown, Strange, stuff like that. But weird stuff. <laughs> anyways, now nah, he, that was probably the best part about it was you know, the camaraderie. You know what I mean? Because, like I said, they're your family, and I mean I miss them. Even you know my old three man I had, which drove the forklift jammer basically. I would say my favorite part would be, I would say the camaraderie is good, but it's kind of a twofold thing, and they kind of go together. It's a sense of purpose, Yeah, that makes sense. I think a lot of guys struggle, and girls, ladies, females, when you get out, 
like having finding that sense of purpose somewhere because when you're in the military, you know you're serving something bigger than yourself. You're protecting America. Right. That's right. You're providing a blanket of freedom for America. America. And so, at the same token, while you're doing that, it's really it becomes yeah, it's about the country at first. It's about patriotism, sure. Yeah. But then it's the guys and girls to the left and right of it. You're not yeah. doing it just for you anymore. Yeah. You're not doing it just for America anymore. You're doing it because they're depending on you. And once you start getting that camaraderie going, and then it's yeah. family, no one's going to fuck with the family. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's those are the best teams. Those are the best military units. I mean, yeah. you look at any kind of special operators or anything like that, they're all so tight because they spend all their free time together, too, because they know the tone of each other's voice. They're that tight. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like your favorite cousins. I mean, yeah. your favorite sister or brother. I mean, it's all the same. Right. I mean, you know each other well enough, and you just get along with each other. You're ready to spend time with them. Now, what's uh, what's the worst thing? About getting out? Or I would say about the military as a whole, like your experience, what was the worst thing? Um, a lot of top-heavy brass leadership. Mm. So that was one of the things. It's like they are not in contact with reality. They think it's an... I don't even know how to explain it. I do. I do. I have this in my mind just now. So if you've seen Black Hawk Down, there's the guys in the Black Hawk. Yeah, doing shit. And they're out there in the Black Hawk, and they're about to land on top of a building. Well, then there's the other Black Top, or Black Hawk, that's like 35,000 feet at like super high altitude. Yeah, watching everything. Yeah, and they're the ones directing traffic on the bottom, but they have no fucking clue what it looks like with the boots on the ground. So the guys on the ground are getting shot at, while these guys are like, hey, take a left. That's kind of how it is. Now... Here's another sidebar. I'm not saying all military officers are clowns. That's not what I'm saying here. I worked with some great officers. I worked with some not-so-great officers. Yep. You know them when you see them. It's just like the civilian sector. You know a good leader. You know the difference between a leader and a boss. Yeah. Just because you might have manager or some sort of special title on your name tag doesn't make you a leader. Lead by example. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's that simple. And if you can't lead by example then go the fuck on somewhere else because ain't nobody got time for that. I, I think that's one of the great things about the South Carolina Air National Guard, man, is like all the officers are super down to earth and they're very good at what they do. Right. And that's that's the best part about it is they actually care about, you know, their troops. Right. That's the cool thing. I mean, I enjoy that part. So, I mean, that, that makes it a plus. So, Well, uh, we're going to be winding down here. So, uh, what piece of advice would you be giving to someone who's kind of transitioning out of the military right now and trying to figure out their next move? Just have a a plan in place and then have a backup plan for that one. And just make sure that you actually want to get out and then kind of basically compare your pay of what you get now that you're in the military. Get what, look at how much you're making now. And then how much you need to make when you get out so you're not living in a cardboard box on the side of the street somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't have a plan in place, then don't get out. Then do a two-year extension. Yeah. Don't be stupid about it because there's options out there, and they want to retain people. Trust me. Oh, absolutely. nobody and their brother signing up for anything anymore. Absolutely. We're the last of a dying breed, I think. Yeah. So. I don't know what the next generation will look like. Yeah. I hope I hope they answer the call. I don't know. You better hope they damn build some robot soldiers so they can play them <laughs> online. That's what's going to have to happen. Yeah. It's not going to be droids. Yeah, that's right. 
drones are already taking over, right? Yeah, so, drones. Shit. Yeah, just have a have a backup plan in place. I mean, we I had a plan and it helped me out. I mean, it it got me, you know, to where I needed to be. And then I found something else, you know, that wasn't as stressful. And then I went and did that job. And who knows what the future is going to hold? But at least you have a plan for income. You know what I mean? Right. You don't go into it blindly. I mean, you might live that lifestyle, but it's not too smart, in my opinion. And final thoughts with all this military talk, lifestyle, before, during, and after. Mm. What are your final thoughts here? I think everybody needs to try it once. To be you gotta at least get a taste of it, right? I, I mean, mean a hell, even if it's the National Guard, go through. Yeah. I mean, even if you're National Guard, you still gotta go through basic training and then yeah. AIT or tech school, like that's I had right. to. I mean, that's my thing. Like, oh, there's a, so many countries that they make you do yeah. a set amount of service. I think everyone, you know, and if you're not gonna do the military, okay, but you have to do Peace Corps, or you have to do social work, or you have to have something that kind of just shows you other people's way of living and what it's like to be around those people because I think we all have a tendency to kind of live in a bubble sometimes and it's not exactly the healthiest way to evolve and grow as a person. Yeah, I mean, you, you experience different cultures and different people while right. you're in there, that's for sure. It makes you appreciate everybody, but right. I mean, I would say if, if you're thinking about it, go for it. But make sure you know what the job you're going to do and make sure you get it in writing. Yeah, absolutely. Also, final word here, take your recruiter's word like a grain of salt. It means nothing. Your recruiters are good. I'm not saying they're bad, but there are some very bad ones out there. I went through three before I found one that shot me straight, and that's the guy I signed with, and I had no reservations about it anymore. Take your time with it. Talk to your family about it. And it genuinely has to be something you want to do deep down inside. Do not go up in general. No, no. You need to pick a job, pick a field of transition. Like I, me personally, I wanted to go to law school, and guess what happened? I went in there and I started seeing how those attorneys were, and then I started realizing, you know what? I don't want to go to law school because <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's too much fun at all. Because if you've ever been in a motions hearing, it's like watching paint dry and watching grass grow at the same time. It's that boring. So just something to think about. Have a plan like Luke said. Yep. That's all I got for you tonight, guys. Uh, tonight's, tonight's drink was Buffalo Trace. Pretty good. Yeah, it's excellent. Uh, might be breaking out the Blanton soon, as many, many of you have read. I got a, another little girl on the way, so I'm saving that. But tonight was the first podcast, and I thought Buffalo was appropriate. So I appreciate everybody listening. If you haven't found us online yet, visit us at uh, thepatrioticfather.com. Find us on Facebook at The Patriotic Father. Give us a like. Give us a share. And until next time, we'll see you later. See ya. Cheers.